Welcome to this week's episode of the Life Profitability Podcast. I'm your host, Eddie Pinar, and I'm a born and bred Capetonian. Even though I've had opportunities and reasons to move away from Cape Town in the past, we've always decided that this is our home and we're staying here. I wonder though how one's home turf and maybe just geography in general shapes the way we manifest ourselves in this world. So every week on this podcast, I have a conversation with a fascinating guest whether they're an entrepreneur, an artist, musician, author, poet, or artisan, to learn more about how they live a life that is uniquely profitable. Today's conversation is with Teppo Moslara, who is founder of Metacode, where he's building a better search tool for coders and engineers. He also got into the very prestigious Startup Accelerator, Y Combinator, for Metacode in 2019. Until a couple of weeks ago, Teppo was not on my radar. After my conversation with Tim and Dam a couple of weeks ago, I asked him if there was someone I should interview, and he recommended Teppo. The backstory there is that a couple of years ago, Tim had helped Teppo just as Teppo got started online. And Teppo highlights that as having had a significant impact on his career. Be sure to listen to episode three with Tim, where we speak about his philosophy of leaving space for others in this way. Teppo and I got into topics that relates to education, and how where we grow up shapes our worldview. He explains how moving around between South Africa and the United States has evolved his ambition and why Elon Musk is a role model. I love this conversation with Teppo because his energy, intelligence, and ambition is just infectious to a point where it is absolutely impossible not to be intrigued and engaged. Let's get into today's high-paced conversation with Teppo Moshala. Hey, Seppo, thanks so much for being here today. Yeah, thank you. This is awesome. So, um, you know, one of the things that I want to chat to you about is, is literally kind of location and uh, geography today. Mm. So I think uh, kind of your first question here is, where do I find you? Like, where are you actually? Yeah, right yeah. Now? Where am I usually at? So I'm usually HQ'd in Cape Town, usually just around the Atlantic seaboard. That's where I spent most of the last few years while I was working at Over. And then most recently, um, San Francisco, because of all the startup stuff I've been up to. So on paper, it's either um, San Francisco or Cape Town. But during the pandemic, Johannesburg. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> why, why Johannesburg? Oh, for for oh, oh. All, all of the South African listeners oh, here, they, they, yeah. like, the, depending on what you say here, like you, you will yeah. probably bring out like, or hear my complete bias against yeah. Johannesburg, right? No, no, I'm totally as this, well. I, I, we, but, yeah. I probably have the same bias. So the only reason is because my parents are based here, and I'm like, I feel like I have to like police them about the pandemic and like, hey, take it seriously, do all this stuff, and so yeah, that's why I'm here. Gotcha. Well, that's yeah. a fair reason. I definitely yeah. can't bash that. So, I mean, I guess the follow-up question there, Tempo, mm-hmm. is then you've kind of spent a lot of time, you know, throughout kind of your life in both yeah. South Africa and kind of the States, right? Yeah. Can you just kind of take us through what that kind of journey looks like and kind of the big shifts and changes that yeah. there's been? Yeah, yeah. So, the main reason I sort of spent um, time between the US and South Africa was because my dad was at first studying for his PhD and then teaching. And so he, he studied math and, and, and is a math professor. And so that was sort of my path to the States in the beginning. And, you know, he would teach math in at Howard University uh, in Washington, D.C. And so that's where I was in the States whenever I was in the States. And then up until the end of high school, 
that was my story. Well, then I applied to universities and I went to the, I got accepted to the University of Chicago. So that was my reason for going to the States aside from like the, my past with my, with my dad. And so I went there, studied mathematics there, and then got really interested in startups. So right around my second year of university was when I, when I really started like waking up to the idea that, hey, instead of being a math professional like my dad or something, I'm actually way more interested in this entrepreneurship stuff. And roughly because I just think that there's just way more freedom in that path. But yeah. Can you remember what the initial kind of catalyst was for, for, you know, for that idea, for that kind of awareness that there's probably yeah. more freedom down that kind of entrepreneurial path? Yeah, so it's funny because when I applied to universities, I actually already had an inkling that I wanted to get into that. So it's funny, when you're in South Africa, and you're in the South African like, schooling system, if you're good at math or something, your teacher's going to tell you, oh, you should be an actuary. And that was, <laughs> that was what I thought I was going to be. I was going to be I was like, all right, I guess I'm going to be an actuary or a mathematician or some, some combination of the two. When I, you know, when I applied, to universities, um, they're like, oh, like, what is it that you want to study, whatever? And I say all that stuff. But then in the back of my mind, and a little bit in some of my application essays, I was like, well, I'm actually interested in going a little bit further than this. Uh, like, I, I want to explore, like, what else I can do with these kind of skills. So I wrote some, like, you know, protracted thing about, oh, I want to, like, start a company. I didn't know what the shape of that company was. I just wanted to do something in the world, make some kind of impact. So I had that inkling. But around my sophomore year of college, I noticed Elon Musk. Elon Musk was on the uptick. Before then, he wasn't very famous, but he was on the uptick then. And then all of a sudden, things seemed way more possible. So if you just look at Elon's story, I mean, it's just phenomenal, right? It's like every step that he's taken towards where he is right now, um, especially coming from South Africa, is just, it's a sequence of like unlikely things, but, you know, taken in totality, it actually gives you a decent blueprint of a path. And I was honest kind of a similar path like i have some connection with the states because of right like my dad and everything like that and so i was like okay whatever let me try this out and all of a sudden i just got hooked i think i founded like three or four companies in the span that i was in college <laughs> so, so that's yeah that was the, yeah yeah so i mean the, the, just listening to you there i have to remember four different questions that I have to ask you. Here, yeah. right? But the first was, was a question for you because the, the, the parts in which you describe at least the South African education system yeah. kind of resonates with me. And I want you to guess what I studied in university. Oh, geez. I have to assume you studied computer science, right? I mean, like, because well, from what I know of you, so the cheat codes that I have, maybe I'm wrong here, but like, I, obviously I know you're in tech. I know you through Aaron, who's a mutual friend. So yeah, that, that's what I would assume. I have no idea. Or, 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 if my other guess is philosophy. That's the only other one. Mm. I would have taken the second one as a total compliment, by the way. Um, yeah. But no, no, I studied accounting for the exact same reason what? that... Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah so South African, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly right. And I mean, and I guess kind of the question there is, and, you know, you would be, you know, a sample size of one probably, but I would love to hear yeah. just your kind of thoughts about why... Because you have a tweet here, I'll, I'll ask yeah. it in this way. Um, yeah. There's a tweet where you said, San Francisco is the first place I've, I feel I've belonged. Mm, Ambition yeah. isn't socially taxed yeah. here. And I yeah. wonder, kind of in the question I had and why I referenced that tweet was just around, maybe it's a mindset or something else, characteristics, environment, whatever it is, but yeah. like why you think we as South Africans are yeah. probably forced down a certain path, not forced, yeah. but guided down a certain path. Yeah. Whereas we all know Silicon Valley, but the kind of the, the states in general has a more entrepreneurial spirit by default, yeah. I would say. Yeah. So yeah. just wondering what, what your thoughts are and you're anyway, having experience yeah. both, right? You, yeah. you can actually at least compare them. 
Yeah, such a great question. So the Safkin education system, what I think about in terms of its funneling. So Safkin is a unique situation um, in that it's a relatively nascent democracy. It's, it's kind of new and everything. And because of that, because of sort of its recent shift into its modern government, there's a bunch of stuff that it has to deal with, right? Um, it has to deal with population for the most part that hasn't had you know access to the kind of education that the rest of the world has in terms of everything from the STEM subjects to, I mean, you name it. So there's sort of this skill shortage thing. Now, because of that forcing function and skill shortage and just in general in South Africa, and because South Africa is also kind of, as I said, it's in a sense, in a very real sense, a new country, and it's trying to redefine itself, it has this basically the situation where it doesn't have a, how do I put this, a strong economic identity. And because of that, I just think that people tend to get funneled into these, I guess, into these tracks because they seem safe, right? So there's everything from medicine to accounting, as you're talking about, to actuarial science of all things. And those things seem pretty safe and are seem to be the kind of skills that you might need in a corporate setting, given that there's this like skill shortage and this forcing function of like, oh, okay, we need to upskill a bunch of people and make them productive in the least risky way possible, right? It's one thing to say, okay, let's focus on, focus on entrepreneurship. It's a very ambiguous thing to sort of tell people at large in a country like ours. So I think that's part of the reason. Aside from that, I just think South Africa is probably, I think it, it probably has um, inherited or is still... I'm not sure how to put this. It's it's kind of like a country that's stuck in time, in a sense. There's some sense in which we're not as exposed to entrepreneurship at large or to the rest of the world in a way that other countries are. I can't put, quite put my finger on what exactly it is, but for some reason, I mean, even, even in the most privileged of settings, South Africa still seems like it's in the 1990s in some sense. So it's, it's really weird. There's, there's something, I can't quite put my finger on it, but it's, it's some combination of factors having to do that it's in a sense a new country and sort of comes to terms with itself. That feels like a very abstract statement and I'm trying to get at something, but I'm not really sure what it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, that's by the way why we have you know, conversations like these, right? I mean, that's, yeah. I think part of that is, you know, trying to figure out these things that aren't necessarily yeah. obvious or have, yeah. you know, kind of single lines to, to, to do, you know, as definitions, right? But yeah. I think you touched on something interesting there in terms of that kind of as a country and thus the people of the country kind of have this economic identity, right? And yeah. however we want to kind of, you know, word that, um, yeah. I think you, like, I, I agree with many of the things you said there. I think that yeah. that kind of your know, risk appetite, for example, the yeah. you know, desire for security and safety, I think all of those yeah. things are part of that economic identity. But yeah. what I'm wondering is how much of, it, of that do you think you kind of embodied, right? Yeah. And had to either kind of unlearn or change oh, over time. Yeah, yeah. So as I said, like when I applied to universities, and it must have seemed really weird to the U.S. admission officers for all these um, U.S. universities. I'm like, yeah, I want to be an actuary. Like, what? Like, like what, what kind of kid is applying to college? I didn't have that context. In my mind, that was the normal thing, right? It's like, you should have a very specific career track when applying to universities. So in that sense, there was a bit of unlearning I had to do, right? But when I got on campus at the University of Chicago, no one talked about, at least in the freshman year, no one talked at all about what kind of job they wanted or whatever. They were just talking about, hey, I'm trying this subject. I'm trying that. And so part of really going to the U.S. to study myself this time um, in university was 
just that environment of like, hey, you actually get to explore for a second. You don't have to pick one thing and just like be dedicated to that thing. So I guess my first year of university is really where I sort of disentangling all of those learned things and sort of like how much I embody that stuff. It's funny in high school and maybe really all the way throughout school when I was in South Africa, my identity was always the math guy. Weirdly, I don't know how that sort of happened. I guess, I guess my dad's a math professor or something. I don't know. I mean, maybe you can also do it because you did accounting. I think people who get into accounting or into economics or have that sort of identity in South Africa. I'm not sure. Like if you acquire that identity, that sticks with you in South Africa for some reason. Weirdly. Anyway, because of that, I think, as I said, like teachers were like, you should be an actuary. It's like, what's that? Oh, and I look at the salary figures. Oh, I guess that makes sense. I'll be an actuary then. So for all of high school, that was it. And then the moment I sort of like got into college, really, that's when I made the shift and started to unlearn those things, yeah. I think that's fascinating. And you describing that untangling, right? I mean, I think for me, if I kind of think back, so I'm 35 now, and I probably did the, the largest amount of untangling of just <laughs> shitty things in my life, right? That, that have gotten kind of, you know, where yeah. I got wires crossed. And I did that like three or four years ago, right? That, yeah. that was kind of monumental for me, right? So now, yeah. And I, I can imagine that for anyone i think the kind of the sooner you do that and you have that space to start yeah. exploring and be curious yeah. um before you set down a very concrete path like yeah. it's, it's just easier right yeah to kind of riffing off here being you know set with the, the the math guy yeah. i think what i found interesting when i kind of did a bit of kind of light research definitely yeah. light research um you know, <laughs> when you're just preparing for this call is yeah. like you're often kind of referenced either mm -hmm. on video or in, mm -hmm. in writing as Seppo from South Africa, which I found interesting, right? Because yeah. I, like nobody says 80 from South Africa. Right. That's a good point. Yeah. That's interesting. What do you think that is? That's a really good point. So most recently, the things I've sort of been affiliated with. So, okay. So in my path onto entrepreneurship or just into startups in general, I, I like startups more than the word entrepreneurship, but into, into startups, my first kind of real strong connection with San Francisco and Silicon Valley just in general, for the people who would reference me as from South Africa, right? It, it would be from those sources. It would be from SF or any US source, I think. My first connection to that world was through this thing called Pioneer. So Pioneer is this remote accelerator program by Daniel Gross. And the premise of it is basically anyone anywhere can apply. And, and by apply, it just means submit your project. The application is in name only, right? You, you just submit your progress updates. And then after a certain period of time, the Pioneer team reviews everything and then selects Pioneers, the top rated Pioneers, whatever. And so that's how that goes. And so because of that sort of introduction into um, Silicon Valley, I can see how how, because I mean, at the time I was in Cape Town. So I can see how from, from that perspective, I was like, okay, separate from South Africa. But also when I eventually got into YC and, and when I eventually started getting into startups, just having more exposure to the startup ecosystem, I noticed you're right. Like I, I kept, I keep getting referenced as separate from South Africa. And I think it's possibly, so I suppose there's some sense in which um, it's important for, let me say the startup world in general to, there's a narrative that's playing out now where SF is not the only place that a successful startup can be founded. Of course, everyone knows that. There's successful startups in Australia, in wherever, London, here, wherever. There's, the startups, there's, there's successful startups everywhere. But for some reason, the narrative just seems to be if you're not in Silicon Valley or you didn't I don't know, you're not connecting with Silicon Valley in some strong way, your startup is capped in its potential. So I think the reason um, I sort of get like, there's a sort of like focus on me being from South Africa is I think because one, they sort of like, like my introduction was sort of in that kind of way, but two, I think people are really trying to 
expand the Silicon Valley image to, they're trying to export the Silicon Valley culture to other places. And like, hey, South Africa, if you're from South Africa, you can do this. If you're from wherever, you can do this. But I think that's what it is. Yeah, that's, that's my theory. <laughs> do you feel you have a responsibility there to kind of act in a certain that's, way and be a flag bearer? Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I had the opportunity to present my startup to Stripe and, and stuff. So this was a, a few months back. And it's interesting. My simple answer is no. But I remember when I when I did that presentation, and it wasn't just a Stripe. It was like, so Pioneer, um, so Daniel Gross had basically set up this um, thing where pioneers can present their startup to a bunch of Silicon Valley people and whatever comes of that may come. And so during that process, I didn't really feel that impulse to like be a flag bearer or anything, but it's interesting. You'd be surprised at how many South Africans are actually sort of like distributed into the the startup or Silicon Valley ecosystem. Because I wasn't the only South African there when so this all happened in SF. There, there's actually quite a few people I've bumped into in the Silicon Valley ecosystem who are from South Africa, but you, you never hear about them. I'm not sure why. I hadn't heard about them and the, it was just happened since I ran, ran into them when I, when I went to SF. But long story short is, because of that, because I noticed, oh, there's another second. I, 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 first of all, I was shocked because I, from my frame of reference, I was like, what? Like, I know that this is a thing. But two, because of that, if there was any sense in my mind that I should be some kind of flag bearer or something, it immediately dropped the moment another second was in the room. So in that sense, no. But I'm not sure if there's a sense in which I should, because again, as I said, I had no idea that there were any other Africans connected to San Francisco in any strong way. I mean, of course, there's Elon Musk, but I just mean people on the ground. <laughs> I didn't. I don't know that there was any. If there's anyone else, so in that sense, maybe. But I don't know. I don't know if I if I feel that sense. Yeah. I think what is interesting there, right, is because yeah. this, this is probably how we project ourselves and or represent ourselves, right? And yeah. especially kind of a you know online. And I wouldn't go as far as necessarily saying kind of you know kind of the brand that we build for ourselves, yeah. but probably our nationality is not that important right yeah or, it's not you know, yeah I, I mean look so i'll go ahead and say this it's possible now <laughs> i'm not sure if this is a hot take i hope it's not a hot take but it's possible that being black that there's something there's some aspect of that that factors into oh i guess we should highlight that this guy's South african i don't think that's it um I, the, so how do i frame this what I'm actually wondering there is like whether it is hot take and whether it's kind of you know, true or not. Like I, I wonder yeah. how it affects you. Like how does mm. it influence just the way that that you're navigating, kind of the things you're doing, um, navigating your life, navigating how you're interacting with. Other it's an interesting people. question. Yeah, yeah. For the most part, I don't think about it. It's not something that's obviously the U.S. is going through some interesting times right now with all that stuff, and so there's that. There's some unavoidable collisions with identity and how you present yourself, especially if you're in the States. I don't think about it a lot. I, I, I try not to. I think I actively try not to because startups are just so hard in general. Like there's there's a class of like problems that startups just pack together that are so difficult that you really don't have the bandwidth for other things. There is some sense in which, you know, you should pay attention to things um, and you should, you have some responsibility. I, I completely understand that part. But when you're founding a company, there's kind of no room for almost anything else. Like I, I, like all the sort of startup people, like, so Aaron is a great example. Aaron, the, in the time that I've known him from the early stages of Over and up until his acquisition and stuff, he had no time for anything 
other than his startup. And, you know, if you, if you talk to Aaron, he'll say more about it. But suffice it to say, um, startups incur a cost on the person who's starting them. And so <laughs> there's that. So do I feel responsibility for some activism or something or like diversity? Do I, do I feel like I should do anything? I'm not even sure if, that I'm in a position to even be a pole bearer or something in that regard. Long story short is I'm basically confused about that space and I don't really know how to engage with it and I have a bunch of things I have to do anyway. Just so, Oh, okay, here's, here's a new way to wrap it up. A new way to wrap it up is like, I can think more clearly about this stuff if I'm successful. <laughs> so, so if I focus on my startup, then I think I can cl- I think more clearly about this stuff later on when I'm more successful. Yeah. So I think it's because it's not clear to me how useful I can be in terms of. So, for example, I'm like say there was someone a few a few years ahead of me who you know had my sort of profile of also being black, also being from South Africa, also whatever, whatever, and was at a similar position that I am now, when suppose that was the case and I was still in college. I'm not sure, I suppose that I would have been more motivated, but as I said, it was enough to see Elon Musk doing something for me to be motivated. It was enough, and I guess it had something to do with the fact that he was South African. So so I suppose there is something there, but there is something to the fact that Elon Musk has sort of the proof is in the pudding. He's just super successful. That's how I found out about him. Getting into YC and, and you know, starting a company and, and sort of becoming a more and more known quantity in Silicon Valley, I suppose that is a kind of success. But to me, that's not the kind of success that would signal to the college version of me. I wouldn't see the current version of me and be like, oh, my whole life has changed. I need to do this thing. It's really the, when it comes to startups, I have, I have to see evidence of like real tangible success. I'm being hard on myself. Well, what I'm saying tacitly here is that I'm not actually very successful yet. And I think that's the, probably the correct frame of reference to have if you're in startups. Like it's, it's one thing to get into YC and you have all this stuff, but success is having a, pro- a, a product that a ton of people love. And yeah, that's, I think that's, that's what that is. Yeah. I think what is, what is most fascinating is listening to you describe that, I suppose. Like, I think for for all of us and just in having these conversations on the yeah. podcast i think what success actually looks like you know yeah. seems to be very different from you know, from, from person oh, yeah. to person and yeah. I, I wonder and maybe i'm also imposing myself a little bit kind of on you know, on on this but i think you know whatever our definition individual or unique yeah. definition of success yeah. is i think part of what it brings is um it brings us kind of the feeling of you know being relevant or having attention and i think yeah. that's yeah. that's what i'm hearing you say here right like if you aren't relevant you can't get the attention and other component probably is there that aspirational bit right like yeah in terms of you know, trying to change things you want others to look at you and like they not necessarily aspire to be like you yeah but that aspiration greases the wheels to to try and get a, another message yeah. kind of across yeah yeah yeah. 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 Right. yeah so you said something there by the way that um in terms of kind of you know when when founding a business when you're yeah. building a business you don't have time <clears throat> for anything so yeah this podcast titled Life Profitability, <laughs> also kind of the, the ti- you know, title of my book. And, you know, a big part of that kind of the, the genesis for me and, you know, I, I spoke about kind of those wires that I entangled was yeah. this notion that I think many entrepreneurs start businesses with some goal of freedom, mm. whether it's kind of freedom yeah. to kind of choo- choose what they kind of want to work on, when they work on, who they work, you know, with, with on, yeah. et cetera, yeah. right? There's a notion of freedom there. And we ultimately find ourselves in that kind of hamster wheel where we get those freedoms, but we kind of trade them for other kind of 
you know, for, yeah. for, for new overlords, right? <laughs> yeah. Whether it's yeah. compulsive working, whatever, yep. right? So I'm wondering, firstly, like you mentioned kind of mutual friend, Aaron, um, yeah. from over kind of yeah. where, where you worked for, you know, for, for, for quite a, you know, quite a while. I wonder, like, is there anyone else? Because I also know Aaron has, I once watched him do a talk and mm. he had this one slide that simply said, go big and, and go, go home. home, right? Yeah, that, that's where Which, you and I differ. But keep, keep, keep going. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, so tell me about that, right? So, yeah. Like, first, explain like what's your understanding of go big and go home, um, and then yeah. kind of how do you kind of you know, feel differently about it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So okay. So my take on what Aaron means there, you'll probably have some sticking point, um, some nuance that, that I'm probably missing here. And we've had, I've talked to him about this before, but my understanding of, of it is that, especially in the context of starting a company you should be ambitious and you should want to, you know, put everything you have into a company if that's what you want to do, if that's your vision for your life. And that's kind of the sort of game plan for most people who get into quote unquote startups. But um, if, if you do do that, you should, in sort of Aaron's way of thinking, he thinks that, well, um, if you really want to go big, you should also have the rest of your life in order. As far as that goes, I think he means you should pay enough attention to the rest of your life that if w whatever happens with your startup, you have something to go back to, <laughs> that, that your life is not sort of like left in shambles. So I think he, that's, what, that's what he means by that. Now, the reason I say that I disagree or that I have some disagreement with him is that, <laughs> is that to have a really outsized outcome with respect to most people who say that they're starting a startup quote unquote, if they use the word startup, it's one, it's one thing if they say I'm starting a business. That's sort of the more normal person who's like, I'm starting a business, I have some plan, I wanna take care of my family, and there's some noble things about that. But if you wanna do a startup, if you want, if you have dreams of like outsized success, I think you need outsized input. So in my mind, I don't think it's possible to aim to found a billion dollar company, and then at the same time, say that you also want a whole complete life in like time is zero sum in this way if you're spending time in one arena you're necessarily not spending time in another and the degree to which you're spending time towards building a potentially billion dollar company the demands on that are just so all-consuming that it's very like the, the, the statistics just bear out right most startups fail like the overall majority of startups just don't make it and i use the word startups here i think there's a difference between businesses and startups but anyway most startups fail if you want to be super successful i think you have to put everything you have into it and it, it makes sense to do that while you're younger i mean my claim is this to push back more concretely on errands um go big and go home i sort of ramble here but i, I want to make a succinct point the younger you are, the better off you are if you're going to do a startup. Like you have fewer obligations, you have all that. So that, that's my, I think if that premise holds, if that premise holds that um, startups require a ton of effort or because statistically they just tend to not work out, then it just makes sense that you want to give yourself every advantage and going big and sort of not going home gives you some kind of advantage, clearly. I think if you look at the stories of most successful entrepreneurs, you'll see something of that. So that's my, that's my two cents. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And, and that resonates. I mean, I, the, the one thing that most people kind of don't know about me is that I kind of went into my second startup thinking that this is totally going to be easier than the first time. And yeah. my second startup was actually much harder. And what I now know is one of those reasons that it was so much harder was the fact that I was slightly older, right? Yeah. But I had had kids, right? I, mm. I started Converjo when literally by the time my, my, my second son was born, right? Oh, wow. About the same time. <laughs> yeah. They have a similar founding date. Um, <laughs> and like, but 
like d- yeah. doing that and, and and knowing that I just have more to lose. So to your point there, yeah. I, I agree. Like younger, you probably are more flexible, more yeah. kind of you know that bounce back ability, what whatever, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, kind of you have that built in there. So I wonder what is evident is you have immense ambition, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. just, you know, that's, that's, that's how you're, you're and <laughs> yeah, there's, yeah. there's like the, the, there's a lot of passion and, 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 and energy and how you speak about these things. I, I wonder at which stage yeah. you decided that, um, or felt like, you know, kind of the, the goal for you is to have this outsized, you know, kind of outcome. Right. Yeah. Which, and, 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 one, and one way to kind of just quantify that outside, you know, outcome is this idea of building, you know, business that is yeah. ultimately worth a billion dollars. And I think that's yeah. this. And you can tell me if I'm wrong. It's this about the actual money. Right. But at that, yeah. most businesses that are worth a billion dollars or more have some form of scale and influence that yeah. is just significant. You're completely right here. So you, you, you sort of notice something. I use billion dollars as sort of like a shorthand for impact. But to be more specific, anyone who knows me for any period of time will hear me say that the reason I'm doing any of this is because I want to solve human aging. That's actually why I got into startups to begin with. So to kind of unpack that, but not in, in an overly long way and overly obtuse way, the long story short is that, so while I was in college, I was studying math. So if you're ambitious, in particular in mathematics, at some point, you will think about solving one of the big problems in mathematics. So there's there's some big open problems in mathematics, like you know, there's a Riemann hypothesis. Poincaré's conjecture was proven recently. Someone I think claimed to prove the Goldbach conjecture. The point is that there's a bunch of open problems, and it takes mathematicians hundreds of years to solve these problems. Now, if you're particularly ambitious, you're in a quandary, right? All of a sudden, you want to solve a problem that you may not be able to solve within your lifetime. I know this sounds crazy and disconnected from reality in some sense, but my intuition upon hearing that was like, well, why don't we just increase the amount of time we have? Can we do that? <laughs> and so that was my initial, that literally that was really my initial sort of like um, thinking. And um, as you know, as I do a little bit more research, um, it just turned out to me, well, we live in the 21st century and there's some technologies that are nascent now that make it not so obvious that this is crazy. Um, so everything from artificial intelligence to gene editing, that all of that being possible now, the fact that we're able to manipulate atoms and the fact that we're able to build more intelligent systems, that all of a sudden things like that are possible. Now, th- so that's why I got into entrepreneurship. And so when I say billion dollars, I'm sort of using a shorthand to also just not sound crazy by saying, well, the reason I'm doing this is so that I can like fund this, you know, this project to, to end human aging. So that's actually the real reason I'm doing any of this. So someone might ask, okay, well, if you're, if, if that's your plan, like why do a startup that isn't specifically that? So, I mean, by the time I figured out that I wanted to do this, I was saying math, you can change your majors or whatever. But um, if you look at the arc of people who, researchers basically, um, who are working biology and stuff, you have to apply for grants if you want to make any meaningful progress in something like biology, in something like a physical science that has, you know, empirical experimentation that you have to do. So, and, and that the whole grant process is just a quagmire. So I figured, okay, if I really want to make headway, if I want to increase the probability that I actually make progress in this particular thing, startups is the way to go. And, you know, there's some cautionary tales like um, Elizabeth Holmes with Theranos. There's some cautionary tales there. So there's some notion of like, okay, like what does it take to actually start a company like that? And my intuition basically follows, okay, PayPal your way there. So Elon Musk, as I said, sort of gave the blueprint. If you want to do something really big, here's the kind of blueprint, like amass a ton of capital and then like 
you've sort of proven yourself in that kind of way and then you know tackle the big project and you have there's enough time in the human lifespan to sort of see that play out in a meaningful way and so that's sort of my thinking there i, I think i answered your question i hope hopefully i did <laughs> yeah that's actually great because one of the notes i i had here is uh, another tweet of yours which yeah. said you want to work on the kind of problems that are hard to solve and so hard to solve that others actually give up yeah, right yeah, but the constraint yeah. is the constraint is yes. meaning scale and scope and yeah. that these ideas has to be big right and i think yeah. i think you've described that i wonder about that blueprint right you, yeah. you mentioned elon musk this idea that you can essentially and i think for our listeners and i like would, would have covered this in the intro right but you're working on metacode which yeah. is a tool for other a search tool for other yeah. entrepreneurs right yeah which is not as grandiose as yeah. anti-aging right yeah. and if we're speaking about this kind of uh, this blueprint being this is a more obvious solution to yeah. both build and kind of do, do yep. profit off from and yep. use that as a stepping stone to, to build this more aspirational thing. Yeah. I wonder whether there are perhaps in that blueprint or in yeah. that playbook, whether there are themes of control or risk mitigation or yeah. anything like that that you have in mind there like yeah. is, is is that thing because because otherwise i mean beyond kind of social grants being difficult to navigate right yeah. maybe not the way to kind of go about solving anti-aging yeah. i wonder kind of again like being an entrepreneur yeah and working your own thing like that has certain benefits yeah yeah so in terms of risk mitigation so there's a very real sense in which working on medicode is sort of a risk-adjusted way to work on anti-aging, right? There's some sense in that. But there's also another way of looking at it where if it's a risk-adjusted way, there's also another sense that, well, okay, you know, when I pitch the startup um, to people, there's an sense in which um, solving these kind of problems that are not necessarily as big seeming or sounding as human aging, um, there's a sense in which solving these problems can be... I actually don't think I have a very intelligent way to articulate how multivariate risk adjusting metacode is in terms of all the things I'm doing. It certainly makes sense in that, okay, there's a high probability of generating capital by working on, you know, um, allowing people to, to search code more intuitively. That makes a ton of sense, as opposed to trying to solve human aging. But then there's, there's other senses in which, okay, well, I'm working on something that's less risky, but how is that affecting my risk profile in, in other ways? You know, it's a really great question. I have to think about that one. That's a really deep question. So I have to think about that one. I don't have an intelligent thought about that. That's really interesting. Yeah. Cool. Well, so I'm leaving you with that yeah. question and the, yeah. that thought, and I'm looking forward to hopefully by the time this goes live, <laughs> yeah. that I would have seen a kind of a few tweets. Yeah, yeah. I'll tweet something. This, yeah, this, yeah, out, yeah. this out in public. Yeah. Awesome. So, Seppo, I want to kind of, you know, end off this conversation today, yeah. and, you know, with the benefits of kind of hindsight, right? And I think we've chatted about just kind of you know, at least parts of your journey. And we seem to jump in this conversation just as much as, as you jump countries during during <laughs> yeah. your journey. Yeah. But I'm wondering, as a kind of last thought for, for listeners, if there's one lesson that you would have liked to learn sooner in your life, like what oh, would yeah. that be? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, yeah, it's a really good question here. I think the lesson goes something like, I wish I'd learned to do more research. I think, as I said, so so Safka, we, we talked about the Safka sort of funnels you a bit, um, you know, is, is, during high school and university. If I had sort of woken up to 
basically the rest of what the world is up to a lot sooner. I think I'd be much further ahead than where I am now, right? And so I think just in general, it's just a good rule of thumb. I think Paul Graham has a has said something about this. I'm not sure if he said it in an essay or a tweet or something, but it, it goes something like breadth first search instead of depth first search, right? So instead of, um, and it's just like a computer science terminology here, but it's basically just, you know, explore, take the time to explore first before you go deep on, on, on something. I've just noticed that kind of like a hangover of like not having learned that, especially with how South Africa sort of molds your mind, is that I have a tendency sometimes to go depth first. So long story short is like, there's really a lot of value in exploring first. Yeah, that's also been, as you were describing that, the thing that came to mind was, I think when we go deep, especially for things that truly matter to us, we often find ourselves in rabbit holes as well. And that's the tricky part, right? Is when you're actually tunneling and you're, going to come out on the other side and whether it's just a rabbit hole that that yep. leads nowhere 100 yeah awesome Sabo, thank yeah. you so much for this fascinating conversation yeah, today thank you. um yeah. if any of the listeners wanted to kind of you know, follow along and especially wanted to see you kind of you know, ponder that question that I, yeah. that I left to you, where should they be following you? Yeah, online? Twitter. Yeah. So my Twitter handle is TSCEPO. Just follow me on Twitter. I want to be more active on Twitter, but my startup sort of takes a lot of my time. I will be tweeting more often, but that's once I launch this new thing that I'm working on. So yeah, people can uh, follow me on Twitter. Awesome. I'll get that linked up. I'm Thanks. certainly following and I'm... <laughs> Really curious to see what you do next. Yeah, Thanks thank so much, yeah. everyone. Thanks. That's it for me for today's episode. If anything in today's conversation really resonated with you, please do send me an email on ad at lifeprofitability.com. That's ad-i at lifeprofitability.com. You can also leave a review on iTunes, which helps me to improve the show and perhaps also helps me to reach someone else that needs to hear this or might find this helpful. I'll be back here with another great guest next week. Cheers.